0: tennis fans and welcome to episode 24 of the passing shot please take your seats quickly ladies and gentlemen thank you
1: And welcome to the latest episode of The Passing Shot, your tennis catch-up podcast. I'm Kim, the self-confessed Queen of Clay. And once again, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Joel, otherwise known as the Wandering Wildcard. So we have loads to talk about from the last two weeks of the tennis season uh, with tournaments from all around the world and lots of off-court news as well.
0: So I think we should get cracking, Joel. How have you been these last few weeks? Hi, Kim. How are you doing? I, it's, you know, it's great. There's so much tennis to talk about. We're not even in like, it's not even Grand Slams going on at the moment, but yeah, we've got so many tournaments across the world. Budapest, Doha, New York, Buenos Aires, Rio, Marseille, Delray Beach. It's it's like, It feels like tennis is on like 24-7 at the moment.
1: I know, it's just like global. It's coming out of our ears. Um, and actually, we should say to everyone, as we're recording, we actually have some very exciting match going on in Delray Beach with Dan Evans in the final. But they've actually just stopped it for rain. So we were hoping that it would be you know, done and dusted by the time we recorded. But I think the weather is put paid to that at the moment. But we'll see. Maybe later on in the... uh, While we're recording this, we'll have some good news coming our way from Florida. But yeah, I think let's... Should we just begin? Um, Let's dive in. So we've had a couple of premieres over the last uh, few weeks. Dubai, most recently. So yesterday, we had uh, Belinda Benchich, Resurgent Belinda Benchich, I should say. So she beat petra Kvitova in a three-set final to claim her first title since she had a she won a premier back in 2015 so second premier tournament she beat four top 10 players really really strong strong run to the title in um in dubai i don't know if you saw any of her matches but she took out some big um, players yeah uh what Kvita in the final sabalenka Simona Halep, Svitolina. But I think most um, excitingly, she saved six match points to beat Zabalenka, um, which is, you know, six match points is not an everyday occurrence to save those and come through. And then, you know, I was thinking in the final, I was thinking, oh, Kvitova, you know, I think she's going to just have that edge, you know. But but Bencic was, um, yeah, she kind of just came through.
0: Yeah, I would have thought if you see Kvitova, Bencic as a final, you would put your money on Kvitova. So I'm kind of glad there was a, a bit of an upset there. But... Yeah, I mean,
1: Kvitova hadn't actually lost a set, you know, in her three previous matches against Bencic. So she had like the form going into <laughs> it against her. So yeah, a surprise, surprise upset there.
0: Yeah, and that was her second Premier title since uh, she won her first one in 2015 at the Rogers Cup. Where she beat Wozniaki, Ivanovic, Williams, and oh, and Simona Halep as well. Also oh,
1: Halep, yeah, yeah. So Halep was in the top ten back in 2015. Like, I guess she has been, which just proves that Halep, you know, has been right up there at the top for a long time now, and she's become such a regular feature. But I hadn't thought it was a, actually as early as that that she was in the top ten. But yeah, I mean, Benchich, she's had so many injury problems, and I think she's really just proving that she would have been right up there and stayed up there if she hadn't have had those issues. So, I mean, hopefully now she can really build on that and she won't have the same problems again, because I think she's now going to be up to 23 in the world. So getting back up there where she belongs to be. The match she played against Simona Halep, you know, that was that was a long match. And I think just a note about Halep in this tournament, she's... Came into it extremely tired. Um, she'd played something like nine matches in the 13 days, you know, and including the Fed Cup. Um, so you know, Halep herself was was knackered in this tournament. So I think Benčić, I guess, is sort of a bit fresher than a lot of the players. Even even Kvitver after Australia, probably maybe a bit bit fatigued still.
0: And and I think Kim, we also have to say that uh, elsewhere in the draw obviously a lot of eyes on naomi osaka now we'll talk a bit later about uh, a bit of a coaching roundup but uh, i saw an interesting statistic it was her first match as women's number one and she lost in straight sets which i believe was the first time that has ever happened to someone starting their world number one reign with a loss
1: yeah uh, a bit well I would say a bit surprising, but she had recently just split with her coach, which we'll discuss more later. So I'm I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. Maybe she was just feeling the world's eyes, you know, were watching yeah, her very closely M- because of that.
0: The, the person she lost to, Mlad- Mladenovic. Mladenovic, I don't think she had much form going into the tournament. I don't think no. she had. I don't think she had won a match this year. So to lose in straight no. sets to Osaka, that was. Uh, sorry to beat Osaka in straight sets. That was that was quite surprising.
1: Yeah, probably her, well, possibly the only time she's beaten a world number one. I'm not sure on that. We'll have to fact check <laughs> fact check that one. Um, also, Su Wei Shui did really well at, in Dubai. I think, she, did she get to the semis, was it? Or, or definitely quarters? Yeah. But she beat... Um,
0: she had a really entertaining... She beat Pliskova.
1: Yeah, really yeah, entertaining little match
0: against Pliskova. Topsy-turvy. And, yeah, very interesting scoreline developing, wasn't it, Kim? Mm,
1: yeah, so Shui, uh, Su Wei Shui was 6-4... She won the first set 6-4, then it was sort of one all in the second set. And Pliskova, you know, claimed that 1-6-1. One, one. And then Pliskova went 5-1 up in the third set. So, you know, you thought, oh, home and dry. And then Suwe Shui just won six straight games at the end to win the last set 7-5 and, and win. So good on her because she's such a she's such an awesome player. And, um, you know, she almost beat Asaka didn't she, at the Australian Open? Yep. I think that's been dwelling on her it's mind. So a
0: player to play against.
1: Very difficult, very tricky. And she, I, she's one of my favourites to watch, actually, because she's just so sort of unique. <laughs> so, yeah, great great stuff going on in Dubai. Some great tennis, close matches. It's great to see all the top players performing well, but Bencic coming through, I think, you know, that's a really, really good result. I'm really pleased for her. Just the week before we actually had the other premiere in this sort of time of the year for the women, and that was in Doha. So I'm not sure if you saw much of that, Joel, but we had Elise Mertens, Winning mm. that one, uh, she beats um, Halep in the in the final, and that was actually Mertens' first premiere, and her fifth title overall. You know she's been she's been as high as world number twelve, but she was actually unseeded in in Doha, and she sort of hasn't had the greatest run of form
0: of late. So it was good for her that she's kind of had that streak of form to win the title in Doha, and and they and she gave us you know our one of our one of our favourite um, matchups, Mertens Burton's.
1: <laughs> yeah we do love a rhyming um <laughs> a rhyming name matchup whatever you want to call it um yeah and she beat kerber as well so kerber burtons and halep so all top 10 players so yeah another another um, a surprise winner maybe not many people might have picked her to win and yeah Actually, Halep, you know, she, she, she reached the final there. No wonder she was pretty tired going into Dubai. You know, she's had a lot of tennis lately. So she's still there and thereabouts. Halep's such a fighter. And she seems to be having all these three-set matches <laughs> all the time. She, I think Halep might provide the most entertainment on tour. We should also mention the Budapest event uh, in Hungary. So we had Alison van Utvank, the number one seed, winning that. She actually defended her title there. And she beat Margareta von Drausova. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> um, in three sets today to defend her title, and she's actually—I remember Van Uytven. She had a really big win at the French Open a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember that, or am I imagining this? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, you might you might have to refresh my memories after yeah. afterwards. Kim.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been against like Wozniacki or someone like that. But I'm, you know, she kind of burst onto the scene and you know this big win and you know she's not maybe done an awful lot since then but it's worth noting actually really interesting she um again in um she was playing let's see she saved a match point in one of her earlier matches i think oh no in her semi-final against Alexandrova she saved five match points so we've had two women you know this week winning titles having saved multiple match points which is great and yeah so well done, Alison van Utbank. Just goes to show that, you know, staying in there and fighting for every point, although it's very cliched, does work sometimes.
0: So that runs up our section on the women's tennis over the last couple of weeks. Actually, in the, the men's side, there has been a lot more tournaments all around the globe. We'll start in this week with Rio. Uh, Rio Rio Open, a 500 tournament. Rafael Nadal won its inaugural edition in 2014. But uh, yeah, this year, I think it was almost kind of like, it's almost some surprising names getting to the the later rounds of the tournament. And the final was between next-gen up-and-comer Felix Auger-Aliassime and uh, Serbian Laszlo... Laszlo... Kim, you're going to have to help me out here. Is it Laszlo... J. J. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'll just get my Serbian <laughs>
0: phrasebook out.
1: I think it would be Lazo Jere or Jere. No, Jere. Yeah. I, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> apologies, uh, Serbian listeners. And and uh, Jere came through. That he came through in the final. I think it was six three seven five. Literally came through about a, f- a few minutes ago before we started recording. But yes, yeah, some kind of there were some big players in the tournament. There was Cuevas, Dominic Team, Diego Schwartzman, but getting to the to the latter rounds we were seeing you know seeing players that we might not necessarily expect to get to a 500 finals but it's interesting to see yeah someone like Ojet Aliassim, an 18 year old i think he's now become the youngest player to win a, a title of this level a, a 500 tournament since they they came in and were established in in 2009 so he's definitely going to be one to watch for the future he beat uh, Fognini, Chile's Christian Garin, and Munar from Spain along the way. So, yeah, he's done he's done very well there. And um, you know, Canadian Canadian tennis is in rude health at the moment, is particularly with the men, with uh, Ogier, Aliassim and obviously uh, Shapov, Shapovalov as well. Shapovalov,
1: and they've still got Ryonic and also the uh, women they've got Bianca Andreescu, who mm. you know has made a name for herself at the beginning of the year. So, yeah, looking quite bright. Canada Davis and Fed Cup teams, you know.
0: Yeah. Might and, be ones to watch. Yeah. So that was that was Rio. Um we've also had a couple other tournaments this week with which have been two fifties. Now I know Kim you've been keeping an eye on these in Marseille and as you said, mm. Delray Beach.
1: Yeah, so I'll get onto Delray Beach in a sec, but Marseille, uh well, huh, Stefano Tsitsipas has continued his kind of rise up the tennis rankings by winning the um, Marseille title today. It's his second title on the tour. He beat um, everyone's favourite Kazakh player, Mikhail Kukushkin, 7-5, 7-6, so two two tight sets. um, And 6 is actually going to be number 11, so he's literally just outside the top 10 now. Um, So, yeah, he um, he hasn't had a great... um, sort of run of form, actually, after Australian Open, Sitsipas. So he'd been kind of on the indoor tournaments, like he'd only, well, won one match going into this um, event. So he made the quarterfinals and Sofia lost first round Rotterdam. But back in Marseille, yeah, he definitely, you know, got back on his, his run of form and, you know, clinched the title. So well done, Stefanos Sitsipas. Um Interestingly... I wanted to mention as well in in this tournament in Marseille we had a really up and coming French player Hugo Humbert um who made the semi-finals and he's actually definitely kind of a name that I keep seeing on my live scores app and getting you know more and more um you know results coming through from him and he actually just won his fourth uh, challenger title a couple of days before um the Marseille tournament so just proof that actually you know those guys on the challenger circuit winning matches getting the types on there they are real like dangerous players mm. when it comes to the you know the tour level events so yeah he's definitely i think a player that is gonna i think make real headway this season so Hugo umbear um one to watch and then yes uh i don't know if you saw much of marseille Joel, but um moving on to delray beach dan evans who would have thought making the final i'm actually just going to check the scores right now because they just suspended the match for rain and yep, yeah, it's still suspended so <laughs> <laughs> but he's playing radu albots in the final uh from moldova so i think another most unlikely
0: people... i think another unlikely final yes. final there i mean dan evans came through yeah. qualifying so you know i mm. think fatigue is obviously going to be a question in in that final you know that mm. that actually might do uh, Evans a world of good given yeah, yeah. he has paid a lot of matches recently he's obviously in a rich vein of form beat John Isner in, in three sets in the semi-final and uh, yeah
1: thank thank God John Isner served uh, percentage was only <laughs> what 65% in that match and not something ridiculous oh, like 92% don't worry
0: Kim we'll, we'll, be, we'll be talking about <laughs> that in a bit in scoreboard stories oh, but, uh, great yeah, stuff Dan Evans uh, great great run of form and yeah, Mackenzie Mackenzie McDonald as well, because because um, uh, wasn't uh, Del Potro Del Potro was in the, in this tournament, and um, I was he expecting was. I was you know I was expecting him yeah to get to you know possibly even a bit further yeah a bit further but yeah Mackenzie McDonald a name we all kind of remember with the, for that epic match uh, with Dimitrov at the Australian Open put him to the sword
1: yeah he um, he beat him in a loss at tiebreak so Mackenzie McDonald. Got his first ATP semi-final. His first victory over a top 10 player. But I mean, (laughs) I think it might have been a bit much for him because in the semi against Albot, he won the first set and then he lost... Six love, six (laughs) love in the next two sets. So that's, uh, yeah, Radu Albert's obviously coming into the final with Dan in quite, you know, having won the last 12 uh, games of tennis. Uh, But yeah, hopefully the rain break will help Dan. Uh, They're a set all at the moment. So hopefully that will allow him to regroup. But yeah, absolutely fantastic week for Dan. Totally didn't (laughs) expect that really from him. So I really hope he can go all the way. Are are we going to attempt to predict um <laughs> who's gonna win that one are you gonna go for
0: Dan or well I mean we did this last week and, and I my prediction I mean you went remember I went I think I went Pella I said
1: Londero and, you went Londero, and, and I...
0: Londero won yes <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna go for Dan then <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna have to go Dan as well actually yeah, but, uh, back, the yeah. Brits. But, um, back the Brits but um yeah that was that was happening this week we'll also kind of round up a few tournaments from last week you know we had Rio this week which was the 500 the 500 last week was in Rotterdam which is a, you know I think that's one of my actually one of my favorite tournaments outside the the Grand Sams. really fun mm. kind of in yeah, an indoor indoor hardcore tournament and it was won by Gail Monfils uh, in a really entertaining final really good final he beat Stan Wawrinka 6 3 6 2 in one hour 44 minutes and uh, yeah, it was played out in front of a capacity crowd as you can imagine, both of them, both of them entertainers on the court, and uh, I think they brought the roof down.
1: Yeah, no, it was great to see Gaël Monfils uh, back up. there. I think that was his first title in thirteen months. So, yeah, great. Especially, you know, um, no, no, I was going to say home crowd, but my mind's still in Marseille. Rotterdam is definitely not in France. Um, <laughs> but actually, interestingly, um, it was the first first title match, first championship match between two unseeded players since uh, 2008. Can you remember who contested the 2008 Rotterdam final, Joel? Uh,
0: you course, did say it was one of your favourite tournaments. Kim, um, <laughs> uh, except the 2008 edition. Uh, you're going oh, to right. you're gonna have to remind me. you have to remind me.
1: It was uh, Michael Lodra, famous Frenchman, French player, yeah. more known, well, I guess for his doubles and Robin Sodling. Oh, wow. So, you know, long retired Sodling. Yeah.
0: Do, do you know what actually is more, for me, it's almost more surprising is that that is an unseeded matchup, Bob Feast versus Fabrice. I know, I was just
1: thinking, I was like, am I reading this correctly? But then obviously they both had their injury difficulties. So they're kind of both getting back into the swing of things. But yeah, it's pretty crazy that they weren't seeded. But actually, Monfils has a new coach, doesn't he? So, an mm. so Australian yeah. guy called Liam Smith.
0: Yeah. I want to say, and, 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 similar and, to
1: Leon Smith. And, <laughs> um, and also,
0: Kim, you've got to remember, he's now got Svitolina in his corner as well. So, oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Know, he's, he's obviously... He's um, in love. You know, love is a very powerful... <laughs> uh, where am I going with this, Kim? Uh, A
1: powerful tool to tennis success. I mean, exactly. we saw that in the film Wimbledon, you know, <laughs> the highly accurate film. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, interestingly as well, Tsitsipas, uh, you know, he, I was saying, you know, he's just won Marseille, but uh, Tsitsipas and Karen Kachanov had their first shots at reaching the top 10 oh, yes. um, in Rotterdam, and they both lost in, in the, the first, first round. round. Great, um, Great composure I for was... both of them. Yeah, um, I didn't actually realise Kachinov was so close to the top ten, but mm, yeah, I apologise, Kachinov fans. I think he's been a bit unwell though, so fair play, we'll give him that. Yeah.
0: So moving on, uh, moving on from Rotterdam. Also last week we had Buenos Buenos Aires. You know, Kim, we we've been speaking about the Golden Swing. Uh, this was the second stop of the Golden Swing, Buenos Aires, Argentinian Open. It's held at the Buenos Aires Lawn Tennis Club, which is apparently also known as the Cathedral of Argentinian Tennis. Um, But isn't
1: it a clay court tournament? Why is it called the Lawn Tennis Club?
0: (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) They must have
1: played on grass a long time ago. That's quite interesting.
0: (laughs) Um, But we had uh, third seed Marco Cecchinato, who you may remember... Had a really good run of form, French Open, produced flawless performance uh, in this in the final on the Sunday, and he beat uh, the home favourite Diego Schwartzman 6-1-6-2. I think Schwartzman, perhaps he he I mean, he had a fantastic match in the semi-finals. He came back from 1-4 down in the deciding set against Dom- Dominic team, thrilled the home fans, saved a match point along the way. Perhaps he, you know, he put so much effort, so much energy into the semi-finals, wasn't able to kind of get it right for the final but uh yeah well done to um to to check interestingly all his three well check three atp titles surprise surprise have come on clay and the other the other places he's won them have been in in budapest and umag
1: mm, yeah i guess uh, he's a, a bit of a clay court, a clay court specialist, specialist. <laughs> The golden
0: swing is is he's right at home in the golden the swing,
1: swing maybe <laughs> maybe he'll go on and yeah i, I don't know um yeah, these I mean, it'll be interesting actually to see what he does at Roland Garros this year because he's got semi-final mm. points to defend. So interesting. Yeah. Um, also, Schwartzman was in the doubles, so probably didn't help uh, with his tiredness because he actually was in the doubles final as well, playing with Dominic Team, who he beat in the semi. So lots of team and Schwartzman <laughs> action there for fans of those players. I think, and also I think it's funny because they actually look really. Like i think there's like i think you know in the tennis world that they, they yeah. look look like they're brothers or yeah. something it's it's quite freaky yeah.
0: yeah so that was buenos aires and then the final tournament we need to talk about is the new york open now i remember that this i think the first edition of this was the the year before and i remember like literally you know it was a man and his dog would turn up for like the whole of the the event it was not very publicly not very well attended and yeah it was well there was a lot of things happened in it actually it was uh, i think serving was a very key, key yeah, part of the so. week key <laughs> theme for the week i think kim particularly with john isner i think was the top seed and um american riley opelka who mm. i mean i think some people unfairly call him like john isner 2.0 but <laughs> um yeah opelka got to uh, the final and actually, it was a really thrilling match he had. And it was against uh, another uh, a Canadian qualifier in Braden Schnur. Hopefully, hopefully I'm saying that right, Kim. And uh, yeah, Opelka prevailed 6-1, 6-7, 7-6 and his first ATP title.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, another Canadian like we were talking about just a moment ago. I mean, he, <laughs> you're talking about serving. How many aces do you think Riley Opelka had in in that tournament?
0: It's, Do you it's, wanna, it's, like, it's probably a lot. Should we give out probably a prize
1: a to who can, you know, <laughs> guess the closest?
0: It was yeah, 100 I think I, I think I'm just going to have to spoil it. 156 yeah. 156 <laughs> yeah. aces came in one one week of tennis. Um, yeah. we'll 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 come on to some statistics uh in scoreboard stories particularly looking at serving in this event because records records were broken but um Yeah, a quick word, I guess, first of all, though, on on Braden Schnur, who I have not, yeah, had not heard of before. Never
1: heard of him, yeah. Uh,
0: Came through qualifying. uh, Yeah, did, had obviously done his best result of his career. What's kind of crazy is he wasn't actually, he wasn't actually in the qualifying draw in the first place. He was in as an alternate. Um, (laughs) Had never won an ATB Tour main draw match uh, before the start of the week. And yeah, uh, he saved two match points as well in his his second round victory over Steve Steve Johnson. So he, uh, he, yeah, great, great week of great week of tennis for him.
1: Yeah, no, that's he's definitely made the most of his uh, his fortune with uh, getting into the qualifying draw and then going, you know, almost all the way. I think the New York Open is if anyone's looking to improve their, I don't know, their serve technique or something just head on down because it's just got all like the big servers going there and yeah it mm-hmm. was um very serve dominated. Also what I found um quite interesting Paolo Lorenzi um epic Italian I don't know kind of journeyman player yeah. he's 37 years of age um he got to the quarterfinals and he he actually what he's had yeah he's the last eight years on tour he's been in a one eighty three quarterfinal per year. In his 20s, he didn't, he didn't even reach a single quarterfinal. So it just proves that some things do get better with age and perhaps Paolo Lorenzi is one of them. He's like, I don't know, a, a fine Italian wine, just <laughs> getting better as he's yeah. maturing. Well, I mean, um, Kyle
0: Edmund found that out at the, the US Open. Uh, oh,
1: gosh, yeah. And last hell.
0: time, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, just, um, yeah, that one, Paolo Lorenzi paulo lorenzi and then also adrian manorino another another st- statistic i read which i thought was quite fun he is 0-5 in 2019 opelka Shocker. opelka gets the final has a huge serve serves all these aces during the week obviously manorino 0-5 not not got a lot of form behind him the only person to break him to break opelka in the new york open that week and he did so twice so I think you know <laughs> but if... then he
1: never held his own serve I'm assuming
0: <laughs> yeah. so I think you know if I was coming up against Opelka I'd, I'd maybe give maybe give Manorino a phone call because he obviously he obviously knows what to do
1: yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> he's got the, the tactics um I think that there yeah, that kind of rounds up the, the action um almost I you know we do apologize that we do not have the Delray Beach final um result but fingers crossed for Dan Evans and but that actually brings us on to Brits on Tour, our section where we focus on what all the Brits have been doing around the world. So let's kind of we've we've obviously discussed Dan having a great week in Delray Beach. And actually whatever happens, I think today, he's certainly going to be in the top 120 um in the world after, you know, this week. But he's um he's actually in terms of his um I mean, he's just having such a great season, is he? I think the, the ban has totally kind of rejuvenated yeah, him, and he's come almost back. Almost given him a looking, reset. Yeah, he looks fitter and just more motivated. So, you know, I, I hope this can be like. I hope nothing bad happens. He doesn't ruin it again, basically. Yeah, I mean, um, he's, he's,
0: he's yeah, he's now thirteen and three in twenty nineteen. Yeah, um, eight and, of eight of those yeah. wins coming against higher ranked players. I mean, obviously he's he started hmm. low down, but. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, I think. is you know Could he be Britain's number one? Could he overtake Kyle Edmund? Well, depending on Kyle's, I don't know,
1: his injury, you know, what's going on with him and his body. And Cam, you know, Cam's sort of there and thereabouts. But yeah, I think maybe by the end of the year, Dan could be... Definitely some competition. Be, you know, taking, some, some yeah, competition I think it'll now. be healthy yeah. for them, them three to all be, you know, in the top, well, hopefully, like, top 50 or something by the end of the year. That'd be great. But, you know, all egging and, you know, sparing each other on. Uh, talking about Cam, he hasn't had the best of weeks. Um, he was playing the Rio tournament. Lost to Halme Munar in a last set tie break. Really, really close match. Really long match. Three hours, 19 minutes. So, a bit of a sickener for Cam. And then, yeah, as Kyle hasn't been playing... Kyle was actually split from his coach, which we will discuss um sort of shortly. Going over to the women, not an awful lot going on. Um, Heather Watson actually got to the doubles final in Budapest, but she lost first round in the singles. And I think Naomi Brody got to the doubles semis as well with her partner. So uh, Laura Robson, I think we mentioned last week on, well, last podcast, she was going to be playing the Shrewsbury tournament, kind of getting back into competitive matches. Um, she lost in the main draw, so she got through the qualities. Yeah. Um, she got a lucky and, loser uh, spot
0: from, from qualifying. I think she lost yeah, in the so, final round of you know, qualities and then uh, yeah, got yeah. a main draw match. So she's obviously, she's on the comeback trail and... Yeah. Um, We'll see where we'll see where that takes her. We'll be keeping yeah. keeping an eye on her for, uh, for Britain's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but
1: the um, once again the doubles players have probably been our most successful. Uh, the Skupskys, they reached the final in Delray Beach and they lost to the Bryans. So you know really solid positive week for them and you know just falling at the final hurdle to to the Bryans, which is obviously no um, embarrassment at all. And Luke Bambridge, Johnny O'Mara. Quarterfinals in Rio, um, they lost Decent. to Cabal and Farah. So, again, really strong, solid performance. They are, you know, certainly making a name for themselves, um, which is great.
0: And and just off off court as well, we you know we've spoken in recent episodes about the Fed Cup and Davis Cup. Well, we know now uh, GB's opponents both in the men's and women's team tennis events, and Kazakhstan. Who would have thought? Yes. Kazakhstan for both Kukushkin. <laughs> Kazakhstan for both the Fed Cup and in the Davis Cup as well.
1: Yeah, and we've also in the Davis Cup got the Netherlands, I believe. Is that right? The Netherlands yeah, and Kazakhstan. It's a, a
0: round robin format, isn't it? For yes. the first. The and first
1: <laughs> I think that's a great draw because I think those two nations were sort of you know they're some of the lowest ranked nations. So out of all of the countries, we could have got like this pretty good deal. Um, so
0: we should be pleased with that, um, and I think we should be actually, pleased also with the, Fe- the Fed Cup draw as well. Yeah,
1: exactly. I was just thinking Kazakh players. We've got Putin Saver, mm-hmm. but it reminded me of you know Yaroslava Shvedova. Do you remember her? I think she retired because she was a uh, she. Re- I'm sure was she Kazakh? I think she represented Kazakhstan, yeah. and I always remember her doing like a double. And she got a golden set at Wimbledon where she. I think she won every single point oh, in the wow. set. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I always remember her for that. But I'm not sure if she I don't think she's active anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I think that again, that's that's like a doable. Yeah. Especially especially
0: at home. And I think I think at home, I think yeah. that was almost like the biggest I think that was the thing I got most excited about. I mean, yes, playing Kazakhstan, but it's great that it's at home. I think it's gonna be played at uh the Copper Box Arena in London. So Where is the copper box arena? That I'm is, from oh, London, sorry. I've never heard sorry, of it. It's in the Olympic in the Olympic Park.
1: Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay.
0: So okay. Um, that'll be uh yeah, that'll be great to get again more eyes on British tennis. Uh hopefully led well by Con Contour and Co. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So yeah, I think that just about covers it for Brits on tour this week. So I think now we're going to move on to my favourite section of the podcast, Kim. It can only mean one thing, scoreboard stories. ta <laughs> so Yes, for... what have you got for me? <laughs> so for any, any new listeners, scoreboard stories is where we bring out craziest, most entertaining, most surprising, whatever it is, statistic from the last couple of weeks. And there is kind of a theme There is a theme here around serving. There there was lots of crazy statistics with with serving in the New York Open. But there was one thing I also wanted to highlight, which I thought was amazing, that happened in Marseille. And we had final qualifying round between Sergei Starkovsky and Constant Lestien. Hopefully I'm, I'm saying that correctly. Apologies if I'm not. And uh, in the final qualifying round, we had the Frenchman, Lestien, win. And he won by winning fewer points. So, you know, obviously, you know, he, would, he goes through to the main draw. And you think Starkovsky, Lestien's seen the back of him. Uh, Starkovsky's pa- packing his bags, going to the next tournament. What happens the next day, Kim? They face each <laughs> other again in the main draw. It was an- another classic lucky loser versus qualifying oh. matchup. So you're kind of wondering, okay, can can uh can Lestienne win again? Can he can he beat Starkovsky again? And what happens? It's a complete role reversal. Oh, no, asked, That's not
1: fair. <laughs> Starkovsky
0: who lost in qualifying, then wins the first round proper. And again, wins the uh, the winner had won with fewer points, so uh, just amazing. That's crazy, yeah, amazing. And, and it was literally
1: the day after. I bet CM yeah. was like, "My oh my, day is like, what is going on?" Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised it wasn't Peter Polanski getting
0: the lucky loser because <laughs>
1: he seems to always get them, doesn't yeah. he? Oh dear. So
0: um, well. yeah, we we actually have the uh, we'll put the the little match graphics of these on our Instagram account, which you which we you can check out and you can see these. You can see these statistics from scoreboard stories in all their glory. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Passing shop Pod, And yeah, we put all of our funny, interesting, cool match statistics on there. Um, the next one I have for you, Kim. Again, I was talking about serving earlier. And um, New York Open. Isner versus Opelka. I mean, I'm not even surprised by this, to be honest. They served up. 81 aces between them which was a record for a best of three set match (laughs) 81 i mean is that if you're a spectator is is that fun to watch what do you think
1: i think it's sort of a case of blinking, you'll miss it like i just you could just you know be on your phone for like five seconds and the game would be over like you'd look up and the score would suddenly i just yeah i don't think it's very entertaining as a spectator unless you you just like a serving, I don't know, <laughs> like aficionado. But it's just, I don't know. You just expect it, don't yeah. you, from big servers. Um, so. Well,
0: they they shattered the the previous record, and that was held by Nick Kyrgios and Ryan Harrison, who served 71 aces between them um, in Brisbane. So, I mean, no, no surprises yet, isn't it, Apelka? 81 aces between them, uh, a record for a best of three set match. And the other thing I wanted to point out, which I, I, you know, I I love, you know, you you know me, Kim. I love a good first serve percentage in. Oh, yes. (laughs) And John Isner, 92% first serves in in his quarterfinal against Jordan Thompson. Mm. Hmm. can't can't win against that, can you? That is insane the thing is what i was quite surprised actually despite 92 percent first serves in he only won 78 percent um of points on his first mm. serve i almost expect, expected it to be a little bit higher but um yeah isn't it came through that obviously 6461 but um yeah we'll put those graphics up on on our instagram account and you can you can have a look at them in there in all their glory um, yeah
1: that's uh crazy stats check out our insta page guys because actually we've posted quite a lot you know over the past few months so if you want to trawl back through and find some gems from the past it it might provide a bit of a laugh (laughs) um let's move on to our sort of final section which is our wildcard section where we discuss all and sundry from the world of tennis. So I think the biggest thing that's happened in the last couple of weeks is um, a lot of coaching changes. And most notably, world, new world number one, Naomi Osaka, shocked us all by saying that she had split from Sasha Byton, her coach, who has, you know, been quite instrumental in getting her to, to do so well when two slams get to number one in the world. So we were all a bit kind of confused about that.
0: What what did you make of it when the news broke, Joel? Very, very surprised. I think it had been... It sounded like it had been bubbling for a while. It had gone back to the Australian Open. And, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, my initial reaction was just very... Very surprised that, um, you know, Osaka, two Grand Slam titles, world number one. You know, you think everything is rosy. But, yeah, she... um you know, she she obviously didn't feel like um, you, you know, she didn't feel like her coach was was up to scratch. So, um, yeah, she she is now, I guess, on the lookout for, for a new a new coach. I think it's obviously been playing on her mind because as, as we spoke about earlier, first match as world number one, she goes and loses to Mlad- Mladenovic
1: mm exactly and i think everyone was kind of speculating oh was it because of some kind of financial reason but she was very adamant at coming out and saying you know it definitely wasn't it's just i think they didn't maybe get on or she didn't feel he had the right kind of energy and he wasn't the sort of person that she wanted to have in her box so she's she's married, kondo her her team and you know he wasn't sparking any joy so she's had to you know thank him and move on and she'll find someone that she can hopefully have a more positive relationship with and yeah i mean i just think it's amazing that she managed to win the australian open yeah with, with this kind of, kind of crowd going, on. going on i know it sounds <laughs> that yeah. yeah it's mad um but it'd be interesting to see who she you know partners up with mm. but also interestingly the last well the reigning women's champ champions of mm. the you know, four slams they've all split with the coach that they were with when they won so just goes to show it's a bit of a merry-go-round i think sometimes when it comes to coaching yeah. and i don't know maybe partnerships are getting sort of shorter and sweeter rather than you yeah. know really like long term the, the,
0: the life expectancy of a of a coach particularly in the in the women's game it feels like is uh yeah. is, is shortening and we'll see who wins the next uh the next title and uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who then wants to zap their coach yeah. in? <laughs> we'll put some money on that coach being bin off yeah. in uh, the following week or so.
1: Um, less surprisingly, Daria Kazakina also announced that she had decided to split from her coach, uh, Philip DeHuys. She has had a terrible start to the year. I think I actually have predicted her to win like the French Open or something ridiculous. But she's actually only won two matches this year. And her two match wins came against the world number 178 and the world number 669. So I think a new coach might do her some good. And hopefully she can fulfill my drastic predictions for her <laughs> this year <laughs> and then we did mention um that kyle edmund has split from um is it frederick rosengrun his coach yeah um who's been with for quite a while mm. so i think that was just because of like family reasons i think
0: he's just like, yeah, think just kind of retiring yeah i think he was kind of yeah retiring from the tour obviously mm. has helped edmund you know propel himself up up the rankings was there with him for that epic run in the australian open where he got to the semi-finals you know his his first title in, in antwerp as well but uh yeah i think it's kind of interesting that you know osaka and bajin it's you kind of see it play out on social media and it's just like one solitary tweet you know for for each for each of them just saying that they've split and then there's kind of like on the other end of the spectrum it's like you know i think with edmund it's it's more you know really thanking them for their time and their you know commitment
1: yeah and
0: it's kind of like a loving from both sides whereas yeah the the, the other you know the other end it's kind of just a, a mutual recognition let's move on
1: Yeah, it was quite curt, wasn't it, (laughs) initially from Osaka. It was just like, oh, is that what she's saying? But then she came out in the press to expand on that. But yeah, um, I think it would be interesting to see who Kyle appoints next. Mm. um, He'll have plenty
0: of suitors, no doubt.
1: I'm sure, yeah, you know, I'm sure. But I just hope it's going to be a good fit. And also, we mentioned on the last podcast that Simone had found a new coach who uh, was a Belgian Van Kleenput, who previously coached David Goffin but they haven't lasted very long at all. And they've decided to part ways already. I think it was just a trial period, uh, to be fair. But they they said that there was no chemistry and they weren't a good fit for each other. So Halep is once again coachless. But, you know, maybe she just doesn't need someone. She's Hmm. having pretty good results without. But, um, you know, I was just thinking maybe there should be some kind of date, not like a dating app, but some kind of app that puts player and coach together and you can just like... I don't know, swipe right or swipe <laughs> left, <laughs> like a Tinder for tennis oh, coaches. Well. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's, how, I don't know. How do people, how do people get together? Is that someone just calls their agent. Like, I don't know how it
0: works. Yeah. Who knows? But, but uh, I guess, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's our kind of coaching roundup. There has been other stories as well. Now we spoke a few episodes back about Federer coming back to play the clay, se- to play the clay season, which he hasn't done in the last couple of years now he's now been confirmed for the madrid masters which is a clay tournament i i'd like to think him made famous by having blue clay which federer mm. won on so in my head when i actually heard this i thought oh is blue cave coming back does he know something <laughs> he knows the does secret know yeah <laughs> uh, is that why he's coming back so he could
1: the uh... sponsor's changing <laughs> i think he's the goat of blue clay isn't he because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> i think he was like they just did one tournament on blue clay and he won it so um yeah
0: it it remains to be seen if he's going to be playing any of the other um clay masters events like monte carlo or rome so that remains to be seen but it it, it looks set up that he will be at at the french open this year Mm -hmm. uh, which he's not been at in the past
1: yeah, no, he's had a couple of years off from that. I mean, I would imagine he's going to play Roland Garros if he's committing to a clay, you know, tournament in advance, unless there's some other kind of motivation <laughs> for him to
0: Blue to play. go there. But... Blue clay
1: blue clay yeah <laughs> um but we'll we'll see we'll see yeah interesting decision from federer and then also another um talking about clay um the french open update they um released some uh, information about the renovation of philip Chatrier court which is um they're, they're doing some rebuilding work it's due to be completed in april but
0: um it's a bit of a tip at the moment, Kim. <laughs> it tip. doesn't
1: look very good does it right. it's uh i think they they need to really crack on with it i feel like it's was it when the olympics was due to happen and like no work had been done and everyone was yeah. like how is you know brazil gonna host this olympics um yeah the photos looked terrible and they've got like less than three months until it's got to be well no even less than that yeah two months now Uh, we'll
0: we'll put we'll put a photo up on our on our instagram so you can you can see for yourself what um philip chatria looks like at the moment um it's undergoing obviously major renovations Mm. that aren't actually expected to be completely finished uh, until 2021 so i don't think there's going to be that bigger changes this year but obviously they need to get it into a state that is going to be you know playa- usable <laughs> yeah usable playable spectatable um, yeah
1: safe <laughs> yeah
0: so um yeah they're obviously hoping to add a new a new roof to chateau mm. but uh, i don't think that will be in place for uh for the upcoming 2020
1: yeah. i think they want the retractable roof to be to be in place, and then final renovations will finish in twenty twenty one. But apparently, um eight hundred to nine hundred workers have been working day and night on the site, so lots of hard work going in there. Hopefully, finally we'll have a roof eventually in a few <laughs> years there. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, that can get to cracking soon. Um, and then, actually, yeah, the next thing I wanted to talk about was the ITF rule changes that have sort of come into place this year. So um, it seems there's like a Facebook group that a lot of tennis players have been posting into. So Ali Bedene was like the latest player to um, post into this Facebook group, which is basically there to criticise the rule changes um, that the ITF have brought in. Um, In particular, the reduced entry fields for the qualifying draws in ITF tournaments and the, the changes to the ranking system. Um, And actually, there's a really interesting article um, on the ITF website kind of justifying their decisions, you know, for making the changes. So I would encourage anyone who hasn't already had a look at it to go and and take a look uh, because it just kind of outlines their motivations behind the changes. So I was having a read through and um, a really interesting fact that I found was um, the fact that and the old system, the way it was all set up, um, you know, it, enabled, it was sort of allowed more players to kind of come and go and, and take part and participate. And they actually had 18 players over the age of 50 competing in entry level tournaments last year. The oldest of whom was 71 years <laughs> of age, which I just think is incredible. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I That really, you know, stuck out for me. In in my mind,
0: well, you know, Kim, that you know, we've been saying for a long time that you know, tennis is gradually getting older. That winners yep. are, are getting yep. older. So you know, who maybe Paolo
1: Lorenzi is <laughs> going to be winning Grand Slams in his seventies. You know, he's he's his thirties are the quarterfinals, forties semifinals, fifties finals. So no, wait, he's got to wait till his sixties and then he'll <laughs> be winning tournaments. Um, but yeah, basically the idea they've tried to change the structure to kind of target the prize money to fewer players to actually enable them to like make more of a, of a living from it because they were just finding that, you know, players were, you know, traveling around the world and like the prize money was just not even helping them to break even. Um, and you've got so many costs, like travel costs, coaching costs. And it was just trying to get players to actually progress in a quicker fashion. Um, so they're sort of trying to channel the... The prize money in the events so there's less players but the players that are playing have a sort of better quality mm. of life and mm. chances of making it which you know i can totally sympathize with the motivations behind that um and i think for a lot of people you know tennis is just about the top guys and the big global tournaments but there's so many players who are grinding out on the the ITF circuit, and it's really, really difficult for them to actually make a living from it. And I think not enough, you know, emphasis is given to them. So I think the good thing about this kind of debate is that it is bringing more attention to that. And hopefully, I mean, I know there's been a lot of outcry, but I don't know. I think we need to get more voices involved in in this and hear from people from across the spectrum.
0: Yeah, so I think that just about wraps it up this edition of the passing shot i think you hope you've really enjoyed listening to our roundup of the last two weeks on the tennis circuit remember to like follow download subscribe to us on all of our uh, social media accounts we're on instagram at passing shot pod on give us a like on facebook again passing shot pod and give us a follow on twitter at passing shot pod if you want to contact the show as well, you can email us on PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And remember to subscribe to us on all the podcasting platforms out there, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. And if you really like the show, please give us a rating, leave us a comment. Uh, we really appreciate your feedback. Um, it means It means the world to us, doesn't it, Kim?
1: It does. Um, We are going to be covering Indian Wells and Miami in upcoming episodes, and we've got also some special content coming your way. So uh, if you just subscribe, then any new episodes will be into your inbox without you having to worry about it. Um, And yeah, it's the Oscars tonight, Joel. So I am wondering if Karen Kachinoff's going (laughs) to try and fill in for Liam Hemsworth, because I don't know if you saw his tweet the other day, but... um, Liam Hemsworth couldn't make the premiere of the film, so Kachinov offered to be his stand-in oh, what a because nice we guy. all know a nice guy. they are, um, you know, lookalikes. Lookalikes, yeah. If anyone hasn't, if anyone doesn't know what Karen Kachinov looks like, just just Google uh, Kachinov Hemsworth, and and you'll see what everyone's talking about. <laughs> <laughs>